everybody. I'm here with uh, Two Bits, Jason. Jason, how you doing? Good, sir. How are you? I'm good. So we're fingers are crossed. We're we're yeah. we're 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 saying our prayers That's that right. my mic doesn't just cut the fuck out. <laughs> but yeah. So please, yeah, host stream and we can get this conversation going because I'm I've been I've been looking forward to talking about this and we finally get a record and it's just like nope. Okay, yeah, let's, let's get it. So, okay, so Rene Girard. Rene Girard. Who is he? What do you say? Core concepts of Rene Girard uh, come down to mimetic theory, which is good, which is uh, basically about people's desires and how they and how they're uh, expressed uh, and and copied, uh, which which can lead into mimetic rivalry. Which when mimetic mimetic rivalry gets to a certain point. A scapegoat mechanism is employed to to make sure that that all against all violence is is avoided and becomes all against one. That's basically some of the core tenets of his of his theory, um, and we can see the effects of it all over the place, especially with um, with uh, the scapegoating mechanism, which is the thing that I'm I'm the most interested in. Um, Luke Burgess uh, in his book Wanting really really talks more about the desire aspects um and where that becomes in mimetic rivalry uh it doesn't talk too much about the scapegoating mechanism um but i think understanding the scapegoating mechanism is really critical to understanding what's going on in society especially with social media and and let's say politically in the west right now because uh, we've reached a point a really dangerous dangerous point um where if you know, things are tipping pretty 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 over the edge right now uh and the only way out of this is through let's say positive mimetic spirals uh so we can get we can get ourselves out of it i'm i'm actually hoping a lot that elon musk and twitter can actually solve a lot of these problems i don't know right we'll see um but there are some very intelligent powerful people like peter thiel who is a student of gerard uh who i'm 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 cashing my chips in on that one <laughs> uh other than just being orthodox about it and going, well, you know, fallen world can't fix it. Go about your business. Um, but yeah, so that, so so to understand some of the basics of it, um, Girard's claim is that all of our desires, the desires motivate us as human as human beings. All our desires ex are external. We don't come up with them ourselves. We see other people wanting things, and then we want them. And the closer those people are to us, the more we will enter into a, into a, into a rivalry about it. I, uh, I was trying to think of a good example of this, um, and it's like Christmas decorations in a neighborhood. Uh, you know, if if one house becomes becomes like the prominent house that you know decorates their place like crazy, all other houses will start to mimic them. They'll they'll up their ante in, in terms of decorating their house, um, and sometimes you know real rivals will, will emerge right? where the smith house is the is the house for a long time that has the most decorations and everyone kind of rolls their eyes about it you know the lesser houses are all like oh yeah so the smiths with their freaking decorations right um that's like minor key rivalry uh then let's say uh, uh the joneses start to decorate their house even more extravagantly then it becomes a competition right like every year it just becomes up the ante up the ante up the ante until 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 you actually start seeing um uh You'll start seeing people divide into camps. You'll start seeing people in the neighborhood who prefer the Smith's house or before prefer the Joneses' house, and they'll come up with all these other sort of um, 
rational reasons for it. There is no rational reason. It's it's and it's an irrational response to irrationality, right? Like, why would you decorate your house that much? Um, that speaks to to a deeper uh, deeper desires, uh, which I mean, Luke Burgess talks about in wanting about um, about he he calls them thick desires. Uh, I kind of call them prime desires, it's things that are divisible by themselves and one only, right? So they're they're desire they're let's say they're desires for something that is not desires for a symbol, and the symbol is expressing something deeper. So whether it be status or control or uh, all these other more root desires that are that are common within societies that really motivate people. You know, we saw it with COVID, you know, the 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 whole COVID craziness and COVID cults that, that emerged on both sides, right, of the, of the, of the debate, um, really was about memetics, right, right? It's like people, it wasn't that people, I've heard the, the, the analysis that people trusted their government too much. It's like, it's not about trusting the government. They trusted each other around them. Like, if everyone's doing it, you start doing it because the, the fear of being ostracized from the group is, is actually more powerful than death. Um, it's, it speaks to something really profound in us that we need to be part of the group, uh, to be ostracized from it. This is why cancel culture is so powerful is to be, to be forced out of the group is like you're, you're, it's worse. It's a fate worse than death in many cases. Cause if you died, you're, 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 you're gone, you're done the game over. Right. If you're ostracized, it's like, well, now you're out in the wilderness alone <laughs> and you, and you might have a slow, painful death uh, or be cut off from, from your models right from now it's like well what do i do what 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 is there right we don't know <laughs> and uh so i'm covering a lot of ground here and uh, and you jump in anytime you want but um but once you start seeing these things you can't unsee them i think that's the powerfulness of it um you, you were saying when you were listening to uh sure break down the the uh, the jacob story uh, and you're reading, I see Satan fall like lightning. Like you, you, you get to these sentences and you got to pause and think about it because what he's explaining is is very simple. Um, but when it hits you, it hits you pr- like in such a profound way that it's like, oh, well, now all these things make sense, mm-hmm. and and they make sense in a in, in not just in a intellectual way, but in like almost a, a spiritual way. They they ground you in something. Um, and, um, you know, if, it, if I'm going to, you know, be a cheerleader for Gerard, it's like, it's, it's, it's that, you know, he's, uh, someone once said he's, uh, the most profound thinker of the 20th, 20th and 21st century that you've never heard of. Yeah. And I think that's true. Yeah. He's gotten some incredibly high praises for someone who is really unknown. I mean, Mr. Barron, he's probably, he has, I think he has more followers on Twitter than the Pope does. If not, he's really? not far behind. He is, I believe he is the might be if it was a popularity contest, he'd be the next pope. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he called Rene Duard the uh, modern day church father. Now, he is a, he, he is a church father for the uh, coming uh, decades instead of the 21st century. What's to think about that and how influenced the, uh, the original church fathers are really high praise. And you begin to listen to him and, like, oh, I see why. I get it. You know, he he speaks directly to so much of it, like. Everyone, everyone experiences mimetic desire. Everyone experiences it, but no one has really a name for it. But when you hear it, you're like, oh, you, like you said, you see it everywhere. You know, you see it in soap, you see it in other people, you see, you know, I see it in trends. Like I have, I know, I know people who are 
obsessed with making sure their house or the how their house, their actions and their job are like, I want this kind of car, this kind of job, this kind of office. And like they want this thing. I was like, people say, Oh, this marketing sold it to them. Like, no, they see that and someone they admire or respected or in the community and they kind of like this uh, desire that not themselves. And they can't really tell you why they want it. They'll come up with something like, Well, I just I just like it. They, they can't really explain it, but you, you you can see like, oh, he wanted to be like this guy, and they want this kind of following this desire, this moment desire. I mean, I think it, so. There's like these deeper, um, these deeper desires that that are sort of like let's say call them meta desires, or I call them prime desires. Um, they something like status, right? Which is it's ephemeral. Like, what is status? Um, we all know what it is when we see it, but we just, we, we, it's hard for us to pinpoint exactly what that is. Right. Yeah. Uh, guys like Trump are, are classic manipulators of status, right? Where it's like, he knows exactly where to put that pressure to make people be almost in awe of things, or at least he had that gift. I don't know where that's at in 2022. Who, who knows what's um, going on in 2022, 2024. <laughs> Exactly. It are, a lot of these things have now become inverted, um, which is, I think, evidence of what Gerard talks about as a, as a negative mimetic spiral or mimesis. So when people are caught up in, 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 in mimetics, when they're copying things ad, ad nauseum, what ends up happening is you can get positive ones, you can get negative ones. And I think we're definitely in a negative mimetic, mimetic spiral. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'll just say this. Um, people coming to the stream... Uh, like I'm still a really relatively new student of Gerard. A few good resources. David uh, Garanowski is really great for this. Uh, Luke Burgess is great for this. Um, there's other people who who can speak much more eloquently about these things, or who thought a lot more about this than I have. Um, and I refer back to them. So please, anyone listening to this, you know, if you can just use me as a bridge to get to the to the to the to the bigger brains on this, please do. Um, so one of the things that uh, Gronowski has talked about and is directly inspired by Gerard's work is that there's differentiation, uh, which is key to civilization. So differentiation in sense of mine, right? What I possess, what is mine? Um, you see this. Your mic's out again. And he's back. And I'm back. Is that working? That's working. Yep. Uh, where was I? Where did it cut out? Um, you talking we'll about the spirals? <laughs> yeah. You're talking about so, like, med spirals and the kind of like negative. You really, you, I think I remember you, you specifically talking about the names you were listening to about other people to go to. So, so differentiation. Okay, so yeah, di differentiation is critical for civilization. Uh, it's the, the idea of what is mine and what is and what is not mine, um, almost in terms of borders, right? Uh, my two-year-old daughter is going through this right now where she's she's claiming everything. Mine, mine, this is mine, mine, whatever. Um, so you can see it as early as two. Uh, obviously not everything's hers, but it's, 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 a, it's, it's important in the development of, of the individual or the self because you have to understand what is yours and what isn't. That's 
So that's minor key differentiation. On a civilizational scale, let's say we talk about the nuclear family, um, we understand what is family, right? Our family is different than others, right? Ours, ours, all families are the same, but yet each each one is unique. Uh, in having strong senses of differentiation within the group, because uh, we, we won't get into the false dialectic of, of Hegel, where it's like the individual and the collective are one. These, these things are a paradox. They self-inform each other. Yeah. Um, so differentiation allows us to to create those borders of the self, right? Where, the, the, where these things are mine and not, and not others. Where this plays into mimetic theory is that if when we start to, to break those borders of differentiation down, which we have, which we are now experiencing with intersectionality and critical theory, it doesn't get rid of them, right? The scapegoat mechanism starts, starts coming in and those who don't have those things or don't have access to those things begin to make those things the enemy become makes those things undesirable and must be destroyed i don't think it's a it's a coincidence that the more prominent voices against the nuclear family are coming out of the african-american community in, in, in the united states right because it's like if we follow that there's a problem in the african-american community there's an issue well what we will say that of holding families together in a nuclear family style for whatever reason and that's a bigger conversation but because of because of their failure to do it they've gotten to a point where they now are attacking the the nuclear family itself right the differentiation of uh, of the nuclear family being held in high esteem something to model well they can't they failed to model it so now it must be destroyed mm. um so we're seeing this happen all over the place uh intersectionality and certainly what's it's infecting the left right now is making all those other things that are not that the enemy and it can go from cancel culture to minor feats of violence eventually it'll, it'll turn into into large-scale violence because because as long as long as it exists it it it's it's almost an affront to uh, or a danger to the collective right mm. um and that's kind of where we're getting at, and it's getting and pretty you, dangerous. Now, you mentioned the scapegoat. So for those who don't know, what is the scapegoat? So the scapegoat mechanism under Jouard is, is the idea that to avoid all against all violence, we select an all against, we, 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 we defer to all against one. So, okay, let's let's backtrack a little bit. So it, in, in, in mimetic theory with, with desires, let's say you and I are neighbors, right? Uh, we're mostly alike, but we are now in competition. Uh, you have a nice car, so I get a nicer car. Uh, so then you get, you know, uh, some other outward signs and symbols, and we're, we're in competition with each other. Um, eventually, what's going to happen is we're going to become rivals, right? So we were actually, one, one or both of us are going to start to uh, want to get rid of the other because because now what you have and I don't becomes an affront to me, right? It's it's becomes uh, it's telling me that I'm lesser than and I can't and the human mind doesn't like that very much. Um, so so you become my enemy. Uh, if you took start taking this on scale, what ends up happening is people start to turn on each other. Uh, so in, in, in basically inciting all against all violence. So what the ancients figured out is that, and this is a process of differentiation, they want to find the one person who's different, right? Who's outside the group, could be a birthmark, could be anything, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and they attach all the problems of the society onto that person, and then they get rid of that person, 
right? Either through sacrifice, human sacrifice, through uh, uh, throwing them out of the community, whatever have you. Um, and what that does psychologically or culturally is it alleviates the problems, right? It's a pressure valve situation. And they say, well, now that we got rid of that person, then all things are, are, are great now and, and lovely and we can return back to our normal lives. And it kind of decreases that mimetic tension for a little bit. It'll come back. Um, but yeah. it, but it it's it was a very very effective tool for a very long time, until Christianity, until 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 Jesus kind of broke broke the model, uh, or broke the mechanism. Because what's what's what needs to happen with the scapegoat mechanism is that you we all have to believe that the scapegoat is guilty. The mm -hmm. the, the scapegoat must be guilty in order to, pr to produce catharsis. Uh, mm -hmm. there, so their their death then produces catharsis and in, in in ancient civilizations uh they often make now my daughter's chimed in um they Did often you, make she met man she says you want a podcast he wants to get on the podcast right oh yeah here. yeah this, she's she's gonna replace me at some point or um <laughs> but uh but the uh the scapegoat must remain guilty the scapegoat often then becomes a god uh in many cultures because um because they're 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 seen as the, the person who can alleviate woes, right? Oedipus uh, is is a classic example of this. Um, with the modern use of it, uh, and you can see this with let's say liberals versus conservatives or traditionalists, uh, all all sins are being placed upon the other group, so they're the reason everything is wrong. And if we got rid of them, then suddenly things would be magically better. Uh, which we know is not true, but yeah. but that's that's the reasoning we're going with. Um, and I mean, I think that's the scapegoat mechanism in in, in a nutshell. What's really interesting about that when you mentioned that is that it's the uh, the right is trying to scapegoat all the problems onto say the trans and the trans the trans population or to the African American population or to all these different groups. And at the same time, the left through biolinism is elevating those groups of positions of authority. Because they know they take the outcasts of society, elevate them, they're not going to be able to turn their back. And so the right is trying to blame the same people the left is elevating. And so this kind of seems to be an even worse cycle because the people the right wants to blame and turn all the problems on are now becoming those in charge of society. That seems to make a yeah, really bad uh, spiral. In a weird way, like wokeism uh, is trying to pick up the the a lot of this problem came from the dereliction of duty from the church, mm -hmm. right? Uh, both Roman Catholics and Orthodoxy and, and the, the prominent Christian churches, what their job should be is so so the so the Jesus narrative breaks the scapegoat mechanism because before that the you always sacrifice the guilty party, right? Jesus was innocent. We all know he was innocent. It's incumbent on the Palma story. When he is sacrificed and still provides that catharsis, it breaks the mechanism because now we can return to it and go, See, you have to, you always have to give the vic, you always have to think about a victim, right? The victim narrative uh, is central to the Christian narrative and it allows us to have a pause and go, well, hang on a second. Are we doing the right thing here? You know, it even goes down to like, you know, he who is guilty, he who's, who's without sin, throw the first stone. Um, this is incredibly uh it's almost what the church can offer us, right? Is a as a is a way to 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 break the scapegoat mechanism completely. Um, the church became derelict in this duty because of that. It started picking sides uh, and and choosing who to support in violent movements. As soon as it does that, then it's like, well, why do we need the church? Mm. You know, 
people abandoning the churches, I don't think is an article of faith or science. It's actually about mechanisms. And, and when those mechanisms are no longer, uh, are no longer useful, people will abandon them. So the, so the real reformation of the church in some ways will be a re- restoration of its guard against, against, against scapegoating. Uh, and, and, you know, the, all these rituals were, were produced by the church in order to defer violence, defer actual physical violence into something else, which is a, which is a very powerful thing that humans can do. Uh, even when you think of, let's say the sacraments, right? Like, uh, you know, eat, you know, eat the wafer, drink the wine, eat of my body, drink of my blood, right? That's a cure against, against cannibalism, which was openly practiced during the time of Jesus, uh, so it was a way to say, like, don't, don't do cannibalism. You can do this other thing instead, right? This other ritual, which gives you the same benefits of perceived benefits of cannibalism, but, but you don't actually have to eat people. <laughs> you know, one of, the, one of the things you'd notice in, in w- when uh, primitive cultures began or, or pagan cultures started accepting Christianity, one of the biggest things that always happened was human sacrifice just stopped. And human sacrifice was being practiced by everybody. Like the Norse, the, the classic one with the Vikings is like, yeah, they used to kill people all the time and eat them. Um, then they adopted Christianity and then they just didn't do that anymore. Uh, so thanks, Christianity. <laughs> it's, uh, one of the things that atheists tend to not bring up is like, oh, it's, it's, it's stopped cannibalism. So you're uh, welcome. There's that to it. Yeah, you're welcome. Wow. Okay. Um, so one of the reasons I've, I've gone more into this. Um, there's so many ways. It's really, it's really interesting about Rene Duard and his memetic theory. Like, there's so many ways to take it. You could take it into like, okay, let's say, I mean, Peter Thiel, he took it into like business practices. People have taken like now political sociological stuff. People have been doing theological stuff with it. Now they're doing like philosophy. And you can really, it's just, it's such a fundamental thing. It can be applied in like Bible stories. It can be applied in business. It can be applied in politics. You really apply it everywhere. And so it's really, I, I it's. I've learned a lot of new ideas over the past like two years, and they all have like very specific uses. But where you very rarely get a new ideas like applied everywhere, you know, like can be used in everything. It's so elegant and, and and simple too. That's the crazy thing about it, right? It's like it's a very simple thing, and I hope I've been trying to to explain it as best as I can. But when you get it, once you get into it, it just unravels your brain, right? Because you, again, you start seeing it everywhere and everything and the applications of it are immense like you said it's it's applicable in everything and, yeah. and also examples of, of its proof like advertising wouldn't work without memetics like it just wouldn't function <laughs> you, you, you need it uh memetics or why start smoking cigarettes <laughs> absolutely no ab- well absolutely right absolutely. someone modeled that behavior for you yeah. uh and for good or for bad, you, you became you, you became uh, you became convinced that this is the the cool thing to do, right? Or the yeah. you know either, either it's cool or it's right or it's or it's status or it's this it's or it's something, that. right? I mean, so even with the idea of forgiveness and mercy, uh, memetics really plays a big part in that. At least in my in my my way of thinking of things, because yeah. uh, one of the things you become become aware of is that most people, I would say, I would think almost everybody really doesn't understand that what they want is not what they don't know what they want they don't know why they want it um it's you can 
you can devise nefarious reasons for, but even even let's let's we'll take morality out of it. Um, you can start to forgive people on that basis, simply saying that, you know, uh, it's almost like forgive them, Lord. They know not know not what they do. It's literally true. They they don't know. Right? There's no rationale to this. They can apply it afterwards, um, but they don't really have it in the moment. They just want what they want because someone else wants it, and they're being. And that, and they're either being guided towards it, or they're just—it's just, it's just pure, pure and simple models. It's also interesting too, is that you can see the—I think people instinctively understand this, or some people at the top understand this very, very well—the way they move against certain figures, like an Andrew Tate or a Kanye, right now. They're moving against them not just for what they're saying or what they're presenting, but they're moving against them because these guys are very powerful models. People yeah. will want to be like them. Uh, which is a trap in 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 and of itself, but but because they're so powerful as models, they're a massive danger to the to the other narrative, right? Because because what what, what both of these guys are talking about uh, in in a more general sense is is a, is a confrontation to this new liberal hive mind thing that wants to get rid of this differentiation that that they're that they're promoting. Um, you know, this idea of of self self determinantship is just not not jiving with the liberal message right now uh so they need need to be destroyed not because of kanye saying some of the jews um although there's part of that right but they're trying to destroy him because they don't want people modeling him and he's a way more powerful model uh than anyone on their side i was just thinking about this the other day like you know trump was a model right uh people modeled trump no one modeled obama like you'd have to i can't think of anyone who's modeling Obama, like who's not Obama, but who's a prominent thinker or or pres- present yeah. uh, uh, presenter or something like that, who is anywhere like Obama that people can go, oh, it's Obama, right? Yeah, can't think of it. There's you tons see, of Trump ones. You can see it a lot in like uh, stand-up comedy. You like, uh, I can't remember who it was it. Some guy, I think it was a uh, Mark Norman, the comedian. He's really very funny. Um, he talked about when he first started doing stand-up comedy. He'd be talking, doing his bits, and like six weeks into it, someone yelled, "Stop doing a Seinfeld impression!" Because <laughs> he was just he was just doing a Seinfeld voice and Seinfeld kind of way of talking. He was just like mimicking other comedians, you know. It's something you see a lot in stand-up comedy, which is a another interesting way of like just kind of seeing it happen in in, in place. And people people are modeling these people are modeling the models of uh, the dial, I guess. It, I don't. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know lingo enough for mimetic theory to like say these things in the proper context. But you can. No, you're that, that. That's that's spot on, right? So, so hang on a second, man. Let me just put this on my. Just okay. do the daughter. Sorry about that. Here. Uh, no, you're spot on, and that's a good, good example. So, because we unconsciously, in many cases, model other people, uh, one of the interesting things in the West, especially, is that we pl- we pray we place a high degree on uniqueness that you have to be unique. But in reality, a lot of people who are very successful, especially in art, are people who are not afraid to show their medic 
influences. Quentin Tarantino is a perfect example, right? Quentin Tarantino has made a career out of copying <laughs> in many ways, blatantly, mm-hmm. other people's work, or let's say a whole genre of, of movies or styles, right? Yeah. Um, you see it clearly in just... the interviews. When he talks about it, he was like, I did, I saw this in this movie and I want to do it this exact way. You know, he, he, I can't remember, he talks a lot about all Japanese films. He said, I want to imitate that, or that's Western. You know, you can, he openly admits it, which is, I always like, I like that about him, because I always you know where to watch more stuff that's similar to his kind of stuff. Well, Tarantino, I think, is a, is a really good example of, of, of how the way to 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 reduce mimetic tension and rivalry is to have many different models right the more models you have the better in general uh especially if it's so and even the more desires you have the better uh this is why capitalism works so well for a very long time is it's diversifying desires so that many different people can all find their thing and then, and then those groups will will start coalescing around that thing, that desire. Let's say, you know, it's video games, right? Um, you're going to have gamers as as a general group, who are all basically the same. If you if you zoom out, they all look the same. If you get get inside, it's, they're all a little bit different. This is especially true in ideologies, right? Libertarians, to the outsider looks look all the same. On the inside, it's a freaking mess, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but so you have inner, you have you'll have tensions and, and you'll have rivalries within the group. But the taboos that keep the, the group together will are are sanct are sacrosanct to that group. Right? Um, it's you know it's a little bit different with things with gamers because you know what's what's the what's the thing you you play games right that's the thing that's holding you together. You uh, can see it on Twitch, man. The people who I saw dying their hair different colors because that one uh, ninja guy had his hair blue. Now all these other Twitch humans got their hair dyed. You yep. gotta find somewhere to stand out. <laughs> And why is it? And why is it ninja? Because ninja has attained a certain level of status, and mm-hmm. and he's higher in the hierarchy. And so you want to, and you so you want to ape the higher person in the hierarchy to show that you are you are a part of his group. So even if you can't rise to the top of the hierarchy, you can at least be uh, you can be visually similar, so people will identify you with with the king, right? With the the, the person that's at, at, at the highest reach. So I mean, this podcasts to... have book have books in the background. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, no, you know what? Uh, <laughs> I started seeing that. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, you, the, the difference you actually read this, yeah, so, so is I know. I think a lot of people. I think a lot of people just have books just there to, yeah. to for for things. One of the things that always frustrated me was when you see people do these studios, these studio builds, and I'm not like a crazy audiophile, like don't no, no, whatever. But you see people with all the the the, the sound dampeners, the sound panels everywhere, and you realize you're in a room. It's like that's not helping you out, man. Like, I don't know where your house is, like, unless your your room is in the middle of a fucking freeway. Like, I don't know what you think those things are doing for you. That's but one. it's visual. On the daily, daily while, or, or, or they all have a microphone on the table. They all use the lapel yeah. mics. I hate it. <laughs> I, I hate that one frustrates so me so much. It's so stupid. <laughs> Russell Brand was doing the exact same thing, and it bugged me so damn much. Russell you know, Brand could do whatever he wants. He gets a pass for me on everything because he was in my favorite Adam Sandler film, Bedtime Stories. So he kind of gets a pass. Enough. He gets a pass. Fair enough. But something about that, right? Because what is it, right? What is it? Well, it's a presentation. The mic says, "I'm a podcaster," right? Joe Rogan has a po- has a mic, so there. So therefore, I mean, even even the mics I have, like, sure, I bought it because it's on Rogan, but it also tends to be a really good mic when it's not fucking yeah. cutting out all the, every fifteen <laughs> minutes. Um, I blame Streamyards for this, um, but it's like, yeah, you start seeing things. Uh, mic arms, right? Everyone started getting the same red mic arm because it was on Rogan, uh, and everyone started getting the exact same mic arm. Uh, it, it's it's people 
people always find who we always know who's a top, right? We always know we always know who who has high status or who's on at the top of the hierarchy. You don't need a lot of you don't need news reports to tell you that. Uh because you can always trace it back. Okay, well who's who is guiding people? Who who are people mimicking? And you find out who that is and usually it's like a handful of people uh and that's who's driving it. Cuz again, we're we're in a smaller we're in a small subsect of people. Not not everyone's a podcaster. It can seem that way sometimes, yeah. but not everyone has a podcast. Uh, so it's like, okay, well, what kind of podcaster are you? You know, I've I've even had this these discussions with Mark. It's like my co-host for our, our weekly show. Even it's like, well, who are we? Who are we like? You know, uh, what kind of shows are we? Are we kind of like the most? Uh, and I think it's we're sort of in a no agenda even Tim cast kind of thing. They see a lot of similarities that are sort of organic with us. So it's like, okay, well then we can lean into that a bit more and, and see what they're doing and then, and figure things out from there. It's important, right? The, I think the thing with mimetic theory is that there's a way to, to, uh, and Luke Burgess talks a lot about this. Uh, there's a way to, um, uh, to, to get out of it a little bit, right? To zoom out of your own life and to start to see who are your models? Like who are you modeling and why? why are you doing these things you know why is this you know and when you get to that point you can start to make some choices because free will is still everything we've been discussing up to this point makes it sound like a really strong case for the sam harris idea that there is no free will right uh if, if everyone's just modeling each other or modeling somebody then then you know you're not responsible for anything you do because it's always someone else right um and there's a point there's something to, there's something to that um, <laughs> I got a monkey on my on my lap. Um, there's something to that. At the same time, uh, free will can still kicks in when you can start to say, "Well, hang on, like I can still be in control of this." There is there is still a self actualization process that has to that has to happen, and where you are becoming more in control of who 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 influences you and how and why, and and in fact, you then can can become an influencer. Um, you know, the, the classic example is always the king is the king is the is the creator of culture. Uh, he's and and the best kings in this case are modeling Christ, you know, the king of kings. That's why it's such a powerful narrative structure and going forth in the Middle Ages. And so that was it was such a powerful way to, to influence the the elite, because it's like, look, if you don't know what to do, be like Christ and. You're not going to go wrong. <laughs> like, but know, the people nothing... were in the uh, "What would Jesus do?" bracelets. Yeah, you know, Jesus take the wheel kind of thing. Um, yeah. But in medieval Europe, uh, and of course, people screwed it up all the time, right? It's, and yeah. If uh, there's a there's a good atheist argument from the new atheist that that's saying that the church abandoned or didn't live up to its to its high minded uh, concepts, and that's true. But it's also built into the faith that it's like, well you're meant you're you're gonna fail like it's not you're you're gonna fail it's okay to fail you just keep trying like it's not like you give up on the entire enterprise because because again and it's hard to find any even new atheist who's gonna go well jesus is a horrible person it's like no (laughs) even if you think it's a story it's a good story like if you're going to model anybody uh, you model the most perfect human being that's ever existed okay well you know there you go (laughs) like yeah. Well, uh, this is about well. If, it, if you're doing the three like on five, this is probably where I would call it because we've got the basics laid out, the fundamentals all done, scapegoat, mimetic desire, rivalry, 
by was... I hope that makes sense because I know, you know when I get does. into this. I, I've tried to do a I try to do a live reading and explanation of of some stuff for Girard, uh, and this might just speak to my my limitations. Um, but when you get into this stuff, it's like on paper it's very simple. Right? He'll hit you with this very simple concept, like you know, you you mimic the desires of other people, and you're okay. Uh, and then when you start getting into that, it's 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 a much bigger concept, you know, uh, and it's much more far reaching. So I encourage anyone else to, to do their own reading. Uh, there's a few good resources out there. There's a four hour, four hours, uh, CBC documentary they did with a talk with, with Gerard that you can get on YouTube. Uh, David Gordowski is great. Luke Burgess is great. Um, there's a, uh, on, uh, I just forgot his name. Uh, there's a few, if you look, if you look out, if you do a search on just even on YouTube, you can find a lot of people who are who are doing deep dives into these concepts, um, and uh, I highly recommend it. It's one of those. I think he's a great bridge uh, through between intellectuality and, and let's say spirituality, um, and and we we've we've only scratched the surface on on his talks about Christianity, um, but uh, yeah, I. I I, I think he can make actually a lot of true believers out of out of secularists. Uh, and he was very recent. He died in 2015. You know, yeah. It's just people. You went to anyone Catholic, people are like, oh, 1400. Got it. Like, you know, this guy died in 2015. He was he used words like woke in his Lexus. You know, like he's yeah. It, it, it was. It's a shame because I would love to see what he would be saying um, about the current situation, especially. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let's let's call it here. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, Jason, thank you for com- coming on. When when can people find you? At? What are your plugs? Uh, two bit podcast. You can find us on YouTube and Spotify. Primarily Spotify. I've basically just been putting up the friend or fed episodes. Uh, YouTube. You can find everything else until we get canceled. We're also out there on Rumble. We're out there on Rumble and Odyssey and a few other places. Um, and then of course on Twitter. Just check us out at uh, at two bit podcast. Sounds good. Well, I think everybody, <laughs> thanks for listening. Uh, like, comment, share, subscribe. Read more books. Um, this I'm gonna try to get up tonight, and so Wednesday I have Owen McIntyre coming on for an episode of uh, for a book club on The Prince by Niccolo, Mac- Niccolo Machiavelli. So that's gonna be a very exciting podcast. Um, yeah. Besides that, everyone, have a good night. <laughs>